All right. So let's do let's do the intro. I guess I'll just I don't really have anything written down for the intro this time. I did last week, but this week I'm just going to wing it. Um, so hello, fellow humans. It is another Wednesday and we are back yet again with fabulous people to talk to. This week we have a lovely, lovely human called Onyx de Pearl, or would you rather go by Alvin or? Honestly, either one works for me. It's never really mattered for me personally. <laughs> well, actually, you you tell us about you. Who are you? Oh my! Um, <laughs> honestly, I'm pretty much just. Uh, average, yeah, I know, I try to be. Um, <laughs> you are not average at all. <laughs> I, <laughs> however, for the past 12 years now, yep, 12 years, wow, um, I, I have been graciously in the art of female illusion, which is, they like to say, when they try to be fancy, but most people know it as being a drag queen, um, it's been it's been a huge part of my life so far, especially um identify myself with the whole gay part of my life. It's really helped open up a lot of doors for me, meet a lot of new friends and put a big side of me out there because I've literally been an artistic person since I was old enough to hold a pencil, old enough to dance. So it's this great outlet and it's interesting how mainstream it's becoming um which has positives and negatives but i owe a lot of my life now to onyx which a lot of times i will refer to my onyx alter ego as its own entity because sometimes it does take on a life of its own well yeah i think in any kind of performance capacity it almost feels like a separate human is <laughs> is within that <laughs> but that that's really good though. I mean, how did you get into drag or performance or how did you get into it? So, full disclaimer, um, that's the most PC thing in the world. Uh, when I was younger, like twenty or twenty one, I was kind of terrified. Not terrified, like, oh my god, they scare me as drag queens. They just they weirded me out. I just didn't get it. Uh, my main mindset was um, mind y'all, I'm 33, so this was 13 years ago. Um, <laughs> you were 21. Uh, then, or- yes, I was 21. So, uh, so that time I was like, and before that, I was just like, I don't get being a drag queen. I don't want to be a woman. I don't understand men who want to be women. Duh, duh. Um, especially when I was that age, it wasn't even like a huge trans presence. So it wasn't even a trans thing. It was just more of like, a, I don't get men putting on a whole bunch of makeup and pretending to be women. And then also I had to go off of what I knew about drag queens was literally just a couple of movies. Um, I loved Tu Wong Fu, but that was probably one of in Tu Wong Fu and RuPaul were probably the most positive aspect of a drag queen you really saw. Everything else was just really campy and really like wacky and almost just like really manly women kind of thing. Almost like a caricature so, of what people thought yeah. it was as opposed to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, they were never serious. They were never really like glamorous or pretty. Um, so cut to me going to one of my first gay bars ever, which was 
PWs in Laurel. This is actually where I got my start. However, there was a queen, there was a man there. He, she was not a queen at the time, but, um, she kind of like, uh, I'm going to bounce back and forth between pronouns because we were usually refer to each other as she. Um, but she kind of like just was drunk and lifted up my shirt and said she liked my stomach and asked me if I'd be a backup dancer for her at a pageant. And so I was kind of like, okay, I don't care. And then I, so I ended up for like a pageant or two backup dancing for drag queens. And at one pageant, I got a call saying I was laid off of one of my restaurant jobs. While and you were at so, the pageant? Yeah, right after the pageant, I got laid off. Oh, wow. Um, so I was, like, really upset, and the queens were like, well, why don't you try to do drag just to get some money? And at that point, I had seen a pageant from backstage, which meant I got to See, like I didn't know at that point, I didn't know about like the pads. I didn't know about all of the ways to makeup. I did not know about how much went into it until I got the backup dancing experience. And so it was supposed to be something that lasts a couple of months. I was like, I have no interest in running for a pageant until I backup danced at um, it was called Miss Gay East Coast, which was a preliminary pageant to the Miss Gay America pageant, which. I got to do last year myself as a contestant, not a backup dancer. Yeah, I um, think you got first runner-up, didn't you? Oh, no, no, no. That was Miss Maryland. Oh, Miss <laughs> Maryland. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> I was, fir- was first runner-up to Miss Gay Maryland. Um, I was top 20 at Miss Gay America. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And, like, honestly, pageants were, because I'm a very competitive person. I've always been a competitive person. And... <laughs> Once I went to that pageant, I got to see so many, like, just gorgeous queens. And they were draggy, but it was still just, like, so much dancing, so much, like, it was hot. I loved it. And that kind of sparked the whole pageant bug in me. That sparked the whole, I just want to be extra. Um, I never had the desire, like, a lot of queens nowadays have, which some may say that it's lazy. I personally sometimes think that but um, <laughs> I've never had I've, I've never had the ambition to look like or try to imitate a ordinary woman not that not that there's anything wrong with a there's nothing wrong with a woman who is not wearing a huge hair huge makeup god bless her I don't wear that shit 24 7 I don't expect any woman to um but and, and we all appreciate that you said that too <laughs> <laughs> I, I speak on behalf of all women <laughs> There have definitely been issues within the drag community, or actually against the drag community, where we've been called, um, we've been called the black face of women, we've been called the black face of, like, the trans community, and that's never been our goal to be either. Um, our, being drag queens, we've never tried to tell anyone how they had to be. Um, we are usually a caricature of something crazier going on in our own minds or in our own selves our personas don't have to necessarily do with you some people take what they will out of our personas like um if whenever someone asks the inspiration for my persona a lot of people expect me to say some kind of like oh beyonce or something like that honestly for onyx to pearl my main kind of inspiration is this whole like if Jessica Rabbit was a Marvel character. So, like, I like I love the idea of her not being 
realistically proportioned, realistically realistic hair. I don't, I never wanted to look realistic. I wanted it to be like a comic book character. Um, which is why my makeup is a little heavier than some girls who I could possibly get away with being prettier or realistic, but I've never dealt with realistic because I'm realistic enough in my life. I want to be extra. I want to be extraordinary. And you are. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> the, let's, let's back up for just a second. Cause you did say yes. something a little earlier that I want to touch on. You said that when you first got into drag, you were sort of in a place mentally where you, you kind of felt like a little put off by the idea. How do you go from feeling a little like uncomfortable to being a backup dancer like that it seems like there's a story in there that like is that not like honestly <laughs> honestly dancing wise it honestly i think what helped was when i met with the queen i get to talk to them as a he so it wasn't like a drag queen talking to me going like so i didn't get freaked out because i was talking to the drag queen out of drag Mm-hmm. So it was a lot easier to have that conversation. Also, being there and going to my first, that was my first drag show. Actually seeing live drag queens. And I got to see that it didn't look like the drag that I thought I was going to see. Like they wore like seven pair of tights. They had fake hips. They had, it wasn't just uh... lipstick over a man face. It was, it was very intriguing to see how much extra was into it. I felt like, honestly, I, I can, I had flip-flopped and connected cross-dressers, which is not a, this is not to say cross there's something wrong with cross-dressers, mm-hmm. but I kind of mixed up cross-dressers and drag queens. It was, I, my mindset was just an average man wearing lipstick, some blue eyeshadow, and a flat, and a, just a regular wig with women's clothes on and some like and he might shave his legs and that was my idea of the drag queen mm-hmm. and that was not what i saw and, and i would then, say oh sorry go ahead <laughs> oh so, and then you add in the fact that um i wanted to be an answer for so long i'm also a homosexual therefore when someone says you're very pretty i wanted to sh- i wanted to use you to show off and i go it didn't take much for me to want to be a backup dancer and not necessarily want to do drag you're like um hello hi yes okay i get compliments and i get to perform fantastic exactly (laughs) so then you so you get into you get into you go to your first show and you meet all of these people and you kind of get a little bit disillusioned to what you thought it was and you kind of get a little better idea of what it actually is would you say that a good amount of people tend to take the idea of a drag queen and lump drag in with um the trans community as well as like the cross-dressing community as well like do they kind of like sequester them off in this corner Absolutely. A lot of people don't take the time to really talk to each individual queen. Um, there are so many different types of queens. And that's the funny part is there are a lot of trans queens, which I had to learn over the years in this area. Yeah. We have, we're like, they're a lot more celebrated. They're a lot more included. And like certain trans queens are 
local legends, but apparently in some cities, trans queens are treated horribly, um, which I never got. I still don't get. Um, then we have some queens. We don't call them bio queens. They're called ASAP queens, which is the fine female at birth. I will try to use as many per- correct terms as I can. Um, although I'm 33, sometimes my brain, it runs on the same web link as like, uh, 85 year old woman from the South. So certain things I hear, I'm just like, I don't know what that is, but God bless you, sweetie. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I mean, (laughs) all anyone can ever do is like try to learn and then apply moving forward. But I mean, breaking down, breaking down things that you already have established in your background can sometimes like be difficult to remove to apply moving forward. Um, So this month is June and it is Pride Month. Yeah. And simultaneously, we have Pride Month and also probably, to date, the most powerful Black Lives Matter movement happening simultaneously. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Um, It's daunting. It's kind of heartwarming and terrifying and sad at the same time. Because on one hand, it's like, it's great that there's so much awareness. On the other hand, why is this still a thing? This should not have to be a thing. We shouldn't have to still be marching (laughs) this long. But granted, you have to think about the fact that it wasn't that civil rights movement. A lot of people like to talk about it like it was forever ago and thousands of years ago. Um, you could say slavery was hundred was forever ago, but you can't. There's still people alive from civil rights movement. Yes. So there's still people alive who were sprayed with hoses, chased, um, attacked by dogs, beaten by cops, and they're still alive to watch it again. So yeah, um, Ruby Bridges is still alive, and she was like mm-hmm. the first little girl to go to an all white school. Mm-hmm. Like that's. It was not that long ago. And I don't think that Ruby Bridges is gray. I think she still is, like, fairly young looking. (laughs) We age very well. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) even so. I know what you mean. I know what you mean, yeah. Um, It's it's, it's daunting. It's very crazy, especially, um, mind you, um, I'm not sure if you saw the, there's a live video that me and my roommate slash one of my really great friends, Chandelier, um, made a live video on Facebook last week. Actually, last week, Lord, this week. Uh, girl, forgive me. Um, quarantine days are all over the place. So <laughs> it was Wednesday that we, um, third Tuesday that we made a video, um, talking about our perspective as two gay black men. Um, and one key element that we kept saying over and over and over again is, this is my story, this is my experience, because every black experience is going to be different, mm-hmm. depending on where they grew up, uh, what what family environment they grew up with, what social group they grew up with, um, what kind of school they went to. Uh, a black guy who went to a predominantly black school is going to have a way different social life than, or growing up than a black guy who went to predominantly white school. I started in like apartments and stuff when I was younger, but when I was probably like fifth grade up, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. So my life and my family though is from like Virginia, like country part of Virginia. 
so each of our, my life has kind of been an interesting web of a lot of people who felt the need to kind of like fuck with my way of living or how I conducted myself, even though I've literally tried to make my best effort to do nothing but help people around me smile and hope that people leave me the hell alone if they don't like me. I'm like, if you don't like me, I don't need you to like me. I just need you to not impede on my life. And that's always been my way. Yeah. So you've had like a few different, a few different exposures to different kinds of society, both in, in more metropolitan areas and less metropolitan areas. Cause you said that you kind of came from a little bit more of a country area growing up too. Um, my family's more country. However, I never lived in Virginia. I live, I started in like kind of suburb, but kind of like apartments, you know, like certain suburbs, they have like those apartment buildings where you're like, I don't really want my kids playing there. Those are the kind of apartments I started off growing up until I was in about like fourth, fifth grade. My, my um, parents, um, bought a house. And we moved to, like, a really, really suburban neighborhood. Like, extremely uh, uh, people riding their, their bikes past going howdy neighbor kind of thing. Like, where we were, type of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where we were, like, one or two of... I, I remember when I was in sixth grade, there were three different sixth grade classes and only, I want to say, five black kids. So each class had about 30 kids, and there was only five black kids total of, like, three classes however i will say in our particular neighborhood um we did have like a lot of middle eastern kids we had like a lot of um spanish kids i was one way that i was blessed growing up especially when i got to my high school was the i won't say white kids were the minority but there were it wasn't just a predominantly black school it was a predominantly ethnic school with like all kinds of kids from everywhere like i had friends who were like vietnamese i had friends who were thai i had um we had a lot of um foreign exchange students so i got to socially adjust myself or get myself ready for the world which i think high school should get you ready for the world um with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds so i kind of came out the gate going Okay, I know about these people. I know about that. I know what's the sense of this. I know about that. Um, okay. And once again, your re- everything's relative to your life. Um, I joked about this on my live feed. Was when I was in elementary school, I knew this girl named Serenay, a little black girl, who was Jewish. And I had not met another Jewish person I knew until about like middle school. So it wasn't until middle school or high school that I remember meeting a, a couple of Jewish people and going like. I'm not trying to be rude, but I thought Jewish people, I thought most Jewish people were black. Because at that point, I only knew Serenay. I knew her family. I had, like, seen all these black Jewish people because of her. But come to find out, it was like, that wasn't the common. But so to somebody else, I may seem ignorant, but to my life, I was like, that's the first Jewish person I met. So I saw how I identified it. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why I tr- go ahead. No, you're you're fine. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna ask, like, so you grew up you grew up around a place that sounds like it was pretty ethnically diverse. Would you say that you did not experience racism growing up, or did you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. 
You did? Oh, absolutely. Or you did? Yeah, absolutely. I did. I definitely did. Okay. At certain points. Um, some points when I was young, a lot of points when I was younger, um, sometimes an adult. It was, um, yeah. My race kind of came, yeah, my race kind of popped up a lot of times and what's the What's ways. the first memory that you have of, of, what's your first racist memory, I should say? Um, definitely around first or second grade, um, there was a girl who was actually also our neighbor, and we, we were kind of friends when we were younger, like, when we were that age, we were even, like, friends, but whatever she got, was one time she was on the, um, playground, and she got upset, and so she thought it was okay to just call me a nigger, but she screamed at me, like, through the neighbor, like that, and... So, and her family was, okay, I don't like to say this term, just to throw it out. Her family was what many would consider trashy. Like, it was, let me try to not say actual people's names or put them out there for stuff <laughs> they did when they were fucking five. Yeah. Um, like, let me try not to like, burn down her house now. <laughs> when she was five, she was free to be. Um, <laughs> their family were not necessarily what you would call, they're very kind of trashy. I'm not going to lie. I mean, um, I would say that the, the typical term that, that people use yeah. is trailer trash. Is that so, like, accurate? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, which actually where I grew up at, um, when I, this is back when I lived in Maryland City, and we lived near a place, mind you, these people lived in apartments with us, but we lived right near the trailer park of, um, Maryland City. So I knew a lot of people who did grow up in trailer parks, and now looking back, I don't like. I still wouldn't say they were trailer parks, but I didn't get the whole. Once again, it's all relative to what you know. When oh, all your absolutely. friends are from this, when your friends are from this place, you don't. When you hear people go like trailer park trash, I'm like, oh, there must be some bad trailer parks around there. Because yeah. in my mind, this is that, that was normal. Blah 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 lives in a trailer park. This friend yeah. lives in a trailer. You know. Mm-hmm. So, no, absolutely but, like I, I i get what you're saying there like trailer trash is is not a accurate term necessarily but it is like what it brings to mind when you hear the word trailer trash exactly if yeah. you think about it in your brain that's what you kind of see mm-hmm. um it's definitely the kind of family where she's heard this word thrown around more than once in her house and you could tell that her parents have thrown this word around more than once in their house freely around yeah, and her at the very least to understand the context of it exactly mm-hmm. exactly she knew not she knew it wasn't it wasn't a open insult to everyone she knew it was for a black a black person mm-hmm. um but that actually led to a worse incident um so that happened around first grade and my mom had made it very clear to the school she's like i don't want her near my son I don't like, think I can't any control. mom would react to As that. Any mom. And the school was supposed to pretty much keep us separate, although the school really didn't do anything to keep us separate. Um, her mom would come to school a lot and talk to the teachers because the girl had, like, a lot of behavioral problems. Um, so they kind of, like, mostly would side with her and were more worried about her, her, her emotional state than what she was doing to me or any other black kid because I was not the only black kid she had an issue with. And just to clarify, um, she was a white child. She was, yes. Okay. Definitely was a white child. So, come to third grade, we were sat at the same table in, like, an art class. Um, I was ignoring her because my mom had 
pretty threatened me to be like, leave her alone. I don't want you around her. Because even when she tries to be nice, eventually it leads to craziness. Because she had called me a nigger at a different point, too, in between the first and this time. And so I was ignoring her. And she got mad. I was ignoring her at the table. And stabbed me in the shoulder with a pencil. And so she stabbed me and was still holding on to the pencil. And I shoved her off of me. What the actual... What the yeah. fuck? This is a violent kid. What the hell? Yeah. So I told the teacher, okay, she just stabbed me with a pencil. And then she was like, he pushed me. And I was like, she stabbed me first. And then the teacher sent us both to the principal's office. Not called the principal's office saying, oh my God, there's a kid stabbed here. She just sent us both to the principal's office. We get there. The whole story is explained. And I'm told that I'm going to be in school suspension with her because I pushed her. Even though she stabbed me, I should not have put my hands on her. And I'm like, but she stabbed me. What the? And so, yeah. So they tried their best to cover it up with like a bandage. But my white shirt was like soaked in blood on the back. They call her mom in, have a nice calm conversation with her mom, and then send me to in-school suspension with her and forced me to play with her. Like, they forced me to do some projects with her. And I'm oh like, I don't want to sit with her. And they made, they told me that I was being um, insubordinate for not doing the exercise with her. This girl just sat with a fucking pencil about 20 minutes before. And they're mad because I did not want to do exercise with her. My mom gets there and is like, why was she next to him? And they're like, well, she scratched him and he hit her. So we put the both, and she's like, fresh, and then I brought the pencil. And my mom's like, wait, 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 wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm. She scratched him with what? So like a pencil. And now she's like, you don't scratch somebody with a damn pencil. Uh, she made me take off my shirt, and she just started screaming, because they were still dr- Apparently, they didn't even take the time to wash the blood off my back. They just put a bandage over it. So it was like dried up blood all over my back. Had they put you in a new shirt or something? I'm confused. No. No. So they just like, they were like, oh, well. They kind of like wiped it up and was waiting for my mom to come. And like it was still dried up on my back. And they just kind of put a bandage on there. And I can remember them going to the office and every like if it was a tv show every other second would have been bleeped out um my mom went fucking bizarre she's like how the fuck are you going to punish him for defending himself when he she could have she's like it it was like high up on my shoulder too um when we went to the doctor's office he's like because they were like well they they like and then the school tried to be like well they use graphite and pencils not lead anymore so there was no risk of lead poisoning my mom's like I don't give a fuck and even the doctor we went to was like if she had gone a few inches over she could have killed you so they were like she would have killed you they were like she would have hit you it was like do you know how many arteries like in your neck they were like she could have easily killed you so um, this is not like question yeah. the I'm she did she was she like in school with you how long was she in school with you after that um pretty much until i until um um i think her family moved first but the school changed nothing about like her being in my class or anything even after that incident uh. actually we moved first i only remember we moved first because my mother um almost beat the living hell out of her mother when my mom was pregnant 
with my little sisters. <laughs> and it was one of those things where, um, yeah, my mom was definitely um, almost beat the living shit out of her. So your mother um, is very protective. Okay. Yeah. Did did you ever have the conversation with your mom about how to act in front of the police? Absolutely. Um, I was talking about a fr- this with a friend today. I think what a lot of people don't understand is the sad truth about these conversations with young black boys, especially black boys. I don't know if black girls get as much of the same conversation. Um, I don't think my sisters necessarily got it as much as I did. My sisters were more warned about being around like men. Like men are gross, men are crazy, men are all the most predators. Uh, <laughs> uh, so my sisters got more of the avoid rape conversation. I, I got like the, you need to keep your like. It, but it was always such a casual conversation. It was never a deep-rooted you have to understand as a black man. It was just a, it, it's sad. It's just the same as, like, we were taught to, like, make sure you don't put your hand in your pockets. Um, if your pants is, don't, you shouldn't wear saggy pants, because if, tr- if you try to pull up your pants, um, they might think you're grabbing something to shoot you. Um, don't talk back, even if they're wrong. Just wait for somebody to be around. If you can see somebody around, try to make sure you make out. It was, it was the same kind of conversation that, like, your mom would have with you, like, if you sneeze, put your hand over your mouth. Like, that's how So it's like natural. You, it, it was just... Go ahead. No, I was... Uh, I'm just gonna... I'm going to go back to the, like, alignment that you made a little earlier where you you said it's very similar to how your sisters had the conversation with with your parents that mm-hmm. that men... They need to be careful around men because men might there are men who, who would take advantage of them and who would try mm-hmm. to rape them. Cause my parents have mm-hmm. had that conversation with me, um, at least growing up. And then for them to have a similar conversation with you, but instead of it being like, they're predatory men, they're talking about police officers. Did that, like, what did that do to you as a kid? Like, how did you feel about cops? It was just a natural they don't like us or they think that most black people are criminals. So it never really weighed on me that much because in my mind, I was a pretty good kid. Like, I just get class and shit like that, yes. But I was a pretty good kid. So in my mind, like a lot of black kids, um, I ain't doing nothing wrong, so I don't get why they would mess with me. Um, I did have a slight situation where I was like, 13 or 14 where a cop like threatened me and my cousins for something really stupid and it had like it was jarring to me um what happened we had had gone to a public park once again public park and there was some like little league soccer game going on and it was a public little league soccer team so it wasn't like a high school where you had to like pay to get in or it was fenced off or anything. Like, anyone could walk up to it. And us walking up to it was fine. Except we were, like, cheering for the red team, because they had red on. And the girl who was the goalie for the blue team kept missing goals. And she kept, like, I mean, kept missing the ball. And so they, the red team kept scoring. And we were cheering loud for them. Apparently, a whole bunch of white parents, com- we could tell that they were, like, staring at us. 
But we're like, okay, we're not really doing it. We're not doing anything. We're cheering at a soccer game. Like, I can understand if we were, like, cussing or throwing stuff. You know, we were just watching the game. Mm-hmm. And then this big white dude just walks over to us. He's like, why are y'all here? He's like, what are y'all doing? And we're like, we're watching the game. And we kind of, like, dismissed him because we're like, okay, hey, we're watching the game. He's like, who are you here with? And we're like, ourselves? Thank you. <laughs> like, it was just like a, okay, thank you, thanks. Bye. And so he's like, well, I think y'all should leave. And we're like, well, it's a park, and we're kids at a park. I don't get why we have to leave. Um, mind you, I was a little bit of a smart ass because I didn't get why he wanted to. I, I was always a smart ass. I mean, you I were was 13 or 14, pre- all 13 or 14 uh-huh. kids are smart asses. Yeah. And I was actually kind of smart for my age, so you knew that was always a dangerous combination to be <laughs> immature with information. Um, <laughs> And so he's just like, well, that's my daughter you're yelling at. And we're like, we're not yelling at her. We're cheering, just like every person cheered from the red team when they scored. We're just cheering. What is the problem? And he's like, well, that's my daughter, so y'all should go. And we're like, and I think I did make a comment along the lines of, well, you should teach her to be a better goalie. <laughs> and he was like, you need to get your asses out of here now. And we're like, what is your deal? And he's like, you see that cruiser over there? And he pointed at some cop car. And we're like, yeah. And he's like, do you want to be in the back of it? Because if you stay, you're going to be. And we're like, why? And my cousin was with me. His father was a, is, a, is a Tacoma Park policeman. So he was like, please tell me the reasoning you have for this. And what is your badge number if that's the case? And he's like, I don't have to show you shit, smart asses. Get the fuck out of here. And we're like, because he's, the more we talked to him, the more irritated he got. And he started cussing us and screaming at us. And then a whole bunch of these, like, parents are, like, cheering him on. Mind you, me and my cousin were the oldest of the group of us. We were 13. Our other cousin was, like, 12. And one was, like, 10 or 11. So we're kids. We're visibly kids. It wasn't like we're all huge teenagers who you might think are 20-year-old men. Like, we're kids, and there were adults cheering on this man making four black kids leave the park just because they wanted us to, they I, they just didn't want us there. And he, like, pretty much followed us all the way to the road, and made us walk on, like, a busy road to go away from the park. Ooh. And, like, I was like, so, like, as a policeman, he didn't give a shit if we got hit by a car. He just didn't want us there around cheering around, making noise around his white children. And that was like my first like police incident I ever, first, not last, police incident I ever had. And so it was kind of one of those things where we did eventually walk away and we knew we needed to walk away. Once the people started cheering him on kicking us out, because it was obvious if he did something to us, no one there was going to protect us. No one was going to stand up for us. Yeah. The so you said that that was also not the first time that you've that you've had an interaction with police. How 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 I, I there's a there's a saying that I've seen floating around recently on the internet that is something along the lines of when do you stop being a cute kid and start being a threat? Would you say that around that age is when you started to feel that shift? Um, definitely pre, 
definitely like a preteen, that's when the conversations about what to do to not get shot start. Okay. So yeah, definitely that um turning into a teenager being started when you start getting seen as a man ish because when you're third, not to put it point blank for every um I do not speak for all policemen blah blah blah, blah you know insert disclaimer here. Once we become teenagers, then we become gang age and threat age and, you know, all that shit. So once you become a preteen teenager, and mind you, I'm tall. I've been probably like six foot since I was going into high school. So um, I wasn't this tall then, like six then as I was a kid. But when um, I played football, my cousins played football, not, so not only were we on the taller side, but most of my family are also bigger guys, and we usually tend to be muscular. I was definitely muscular then, um, then, but muscular and wiry, and so it was a lot of times, and now as an adult, I use a different mechanism. You did kind of try to minimize how much of a threat you felt that you seemed okay. at times. And how frequently would you say since then, like how many other interactions have you had with the police? Because I also noticed, noted that you said um, that that was the first time, but definitely not the last. Um, I've had one serious altercation with the cop um, that left me terrified. Um, I had two not so serious, but they were definitely a what the fuck situation. Um, the two of them, to the two what the fuck situations were both where, um, the white people in the car actually kind of stood up for me was I was in the back passenger seat of a car that was pulled over and the cop made me give him my ID too, which they're like, I don't get why you need to see his ID or his license when he's not driving. He's not in this, like, why do you need to ask him that? Like, why are you asking him any questions at all? And that's my friends kept saying, I was like, why? And they were like, and it was just a random thing where they were like questioning everybody. And they were questioning the driver and me. And I'm like, why, why am, and it was like four people in the car both times. And they questioned the driver and me. Almost like and I'm in the back seat because you were present. Because I was present. I was like, what did that, what, why do you need to do my ID if I'm not driving? Ugh. Um, the other time that was a serious one, that's probably like my, hopefully, I pray to God, knock on wood, is my only like bad, really bad story. Um, that was, I just moved to Jessup, Maryland. Um, I was 23 at the time, I believe. And I was standing on the side of the road at what I thought was a bus stop. Later come find out it was no longer a bus stop, but the website still said it was a bus stop. And it was, I just moved there, so it was my first day waiting for the bus, and a, I was on the phone with my ex at the time, well, at the time, he was my boyfriend, and I'm like, can you please check online to see if this bus is coming anytime soon, and a car just kind of pulls up, but I wasn't paying attention to the guy, and I actually remember thinking, like, oh, he's kind of cute, um, and then I'm on my phone, I just hear someone say, hang up the phone. And I turn and I'm like, what the fuck? And I turn around and it's just some white dude in a black t-shirt, khaki cargo short. And he's like, hang up the fucking phone now. Exact words. Hang up the fucking phone now. My ex is freaking out on the phone because he thinks I'm getting 
Rob. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? And I just stopped and I looked at the guy's belt. And first thing I noticed is he had a gun. And the second thing was he had a police badge on the front of his belt. And I'm like, shit. And he's like, get off the phone. And he makes me hang up my phone. I was like, what's the issue? He's like, why are you standing here? I was like, I'm waiting for my bus. He's like, where is it going? He's like, to Laurel. Because I I was like, I have to get to work. What is this about? He's like, why are you asking so many questions? I was like, I I still don't know what it's about. He's like, give me your ID. And I was like, why? And he's like, give me your ID. Now, the thing about this was, we were on the street in Jessup, but he was one of very few cars we had driven by at that time. And the house I was in front of was like, looked like a condemned house, but I was like on the corner of the street. However, there was no one around. Unlike the whole soccer game thing, there was absolutely no one around. So this time I was like, holy shit, if something happens, there is his story and no other story. Um, obviously body cams weren't big then and even if they were big then he didn't have a uniform on he was just in plain clothes so I pull out my wallet it was hard to get my wallet out of my uh, my ID out of my wallet and he just starts getting impatient he's like oh my god what's taking so long so I finally get, pull up my ID snatch it out of my hand and I'm like did someone call because I'm standing here I was like I just moved to the neighborhood I've, I've literally lived right around the corner I was like I can tell you my address and he's like I didn't ask you for your address I was like, okay. He's like, why does this say you live in Laurel? I was like, I just moved here. I haven't got my ID changed. What is this about? And he steps away from me for a few minutes. And then a police cruiser comes up and an officer in uniform, another white officer in uniform, comes up and starts screaming at me too. He's like, why are you standing here? Pretty much the same thing all over again. Neither one will tell me what's going on. And every time I ask them what's going on, they just get mad and yell at me. Um, so the one guy was like, where do you work? And I was like, books a million in Laurel. And the cop goes, I never heard of it. And I was like, well, are you a reader? And the first cop is like, he can fucking read. And it was like, that's, and I was like, I didn't ask. I was like, it's not what I said. I was like, I wasn't saying he couldn't read. I did a little bit of a smart ass Polish thing where I started giving off the whole they started the newspaper stand, blah, 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 Alabama. You, you know. Um, <laughs> I pretty much said the entire orientation thing. I was like, da, 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 da. I, was like I was like, we're second to Barnes & Noble right now. So you might want, I was like, so yeah, we're going to run the mills. The dog went burning. I was like, you can call. I can give you the number. I work at Books Pavilion. Yeah, for anyone, um, just, just to kind of give a little bit of background on the you know comment, that's how <laughs> Alvin and I met is we both worked for the... <laughs> The worst company to work for in the country as of <laughs> 2000 and what? 15? Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> um, books a million, but yes. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so, and so, you say that they don't know what it is, and you're like, this is this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And then my bus drives by, and the copy informs like, I thought you needed the bus. And I was like, Dude, I'm being yelled at by two cops. I was like, of course they didn't stop for me. I was like, was I free? Am I free to go? He's like, no one told you you're free to go. I was like, thank you. It wouldn't have mattered. I was like, I'm already late to work. Um, so they, I really, I don't know if I wish they had or wish they hadn't, but they didn't walk away from me this time and talk to dispatch. And he was like, can you please give us that description again? And dispatch gives them whatever the guy's name is. 
which means they have my ID. All they had to do was check the fucking name, and they already would have known that I was not this person. Um, she describes him as an African American male, age fifty six, five foot seven. I am six foot one, and at the time I was twenty three. I am currently thirty three, and people uh, when I worked at Yogurt Mountain, which was last year, still asked me what I want to do when I got out of high school. I am very young looking. I am not forty six at all. Black people age well, but most black people who are 46 are not confused with somebody who might be a high schooler. Yeah, I will attest, you do look very young. (laughs) (laughs) There was nothing about this guy's description that matched mine at all, except for African-American male. Um, That's where where the description stopped for them. They were just like, he's black. Yep, he was black, sitting on the side of the road. I didn't try to run from him, I didn't try to hide, I didn't do anything. Um, they hand me back my ID finally. It was like, well, you ma- you matched the description of the guy we're looking for. And I was like, obviously. They did not like that. They kind of rolled their eyes. And I was like, stay out of trouble, Mr. Smith. And I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, I didn't fucking get into trouble. Whatever. And then they finally drive off. And I was so shaken up. I was so upset. I just walked home. Um, my man, one of my managers actually drove to the, um, drove to pick me up from, work because I was like I'm not waiting I was like I'm not going back to that stuff for another bus. Yeah I don't blame I was you. like I, I'm definitely not. Um and and but one thing about that situation that kinda made me feel so embarrassed and so sad that I did it was once again to minimize like I said, minimize threat. Um as a gay man, I often when talking to any police officer, um, I will openly and purposely overemphasize how feminine I am to try to make myself seem less threatening. Mm. I, I will act a lot gayer to or feminine just so they don't think that I'm as threatening. Has that ever backfired on you? Because I know that there are a lot of there's also a lot of issues with Oh god. Fortunately <laughs> no. Oh god. <laughs> I'm, I mean I'm not well, trying to scare you. <laughs> yeah. But no, fortunately, no. I'm very glad that that has not happened where, or not to my face. Let me say that. Not to my face. Okay. Um, my, um, as far as it being gay, I, I have had situations, I've had a good situations with cops where I was terrified to talk to the cop, even though one case, um, one case last year, um, not sure the year before, in 2018, I was the victim of something. And I was too, I was embarrassed. I did not want to call the cops about it because I did not want to, I, especially if I had a male cop. I was like, I did not want to explain my situation to a male cop. Uh, it was a situation with my ex-boyfriend. I'm not going to get into all that, but, um. Are you comfortable, like, describing just kind of overtly a little bit of what happened or you just don't want to touch it right now? Um, it was a situation where, um, I felt, um, eh, um. <laughs> you don't have so to. So pretty much. So pretty much the situation was I was kind of held against my will. I managed to get away. I wasn't well, going to call the cops about it. Huh? Well, no, sorry. <laughs> I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yes. Um, I wasn't going to call police about it, but there was a huge, bit, but it, preceding that, there was like a huge, huge, huge thing of harassment that followed. And it was, and it, Build over to this person kind of threatening the livelihoods of my um, roommate. So that's when I finally had to step up and call the cops. And I will say, the policeman who came to help me out with that, I was, 
I, if they were resentful or just were like ill, they did not show it in any way, shape, or form. And they kind of pressed me to follow through with the situation. They're like, you need to do this because this is, they're like, this is no different than domestic violence. Just because you're a man and he's a man, that does not change the situation. You need to press forward with this. Um, um, when I talked to people for like the domestic violence hotline, it was like, it was, it was very eye opening okay. that even though the system as a whole does not do well for us, it's not a, it's not every single person, every single thing, which I am, I was, very happy to hear at that point. Um, well, I was very happy to live through at that point because, yeah. like I said, it was embarrassing. It was so embarrassing to be a man having to go through, and not not to say that women are delicate little flowers. Like I trust me, I've grown up. I've I'm one out of five, and I'm the only boy. I I, I know my sisters can handle themselves in almost no, any situation. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, any any person who's ever interviewed after experiencing any form of domestic violence that is probably the number one thing that they say is that they were embarrassed because they didn't want to be another statistic they didn't want to be like they didn't want people to be like oh well you were stupid enough to stay in the relationship etc cetera, etc cetera. like why didn't you see it like people think that that's what the world sees yeah and like i even found out that in maryland there's not even like a which kind of not surprised me, but like, um, you know, like if there's like a woman who's attacked by husband, there's like safe houses and, uh, but there's not even that kind of setup for men if they're the subject of domestic violence because it's not, they don't necessarily call it in as much. Most men, if they're beat up by their wives or like attacked by their girl, they're not usually going to be the ones to be like, I need a place to go because they apparently there's no place in Maryland that's set up for men to do that. It's mostly for, like, women and children. Mm. Um, which I feel like is a whole other subject, but um, yeah. it was a bit eye-opening. Um, like I said, in that situation, the cops were on my side. I have seen, fortunately, I was not one of the parties who the cops were against, but I have seen it go opposite, where the cops, like, definitely go against the gay guys. Um, there was a scene outside of a, um, I was not there, so I can only talk about what I've heard, but um, there was a scene where this really drunk, straight asshole, kind of racist asshole, kind of came into one of the gay bars during a drag show, caused a ruckus, got violent, and the bar owner and, but, and like another person, security person, had to like fight him off to get him outside. And the cops not only did not take any real statements from anybody in the bar, they arrested the two gay men who fought the guy back. Oh just because the guy got the guy got the worst of the fight. He started the fight, but he got the worst of it. So they're they pretty much automatically just kind of like took his side on it. You even have though so he wasn't many inebriated. stories that I'm just like, <laughs> what? Like I want to give you a hug, but you're in another state. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> And I and I know that you have even more than that too, because when you were working at the mall, like oh god, because <laughs> that was where we worked together was at the mall, and I remember like all of the stupid, moronic. Oh my god! Oh, the so recently, 
and and I hate to I hate to say this, but like recently I have had my eyes unfortunately opened a little bit more, not just because of all of the things going on in media, but also the way I I have I I I hate to say that I've been like intentionally ignorant because I don't think that I was intentionally ignoring it, but it's it's really hard with the privilege that I have to see it as it is because all I've ever been told my whole life is that people are there, like police are there to protect you. And so if there is a reason that they are confronting someone, then they have been trained to Mm -hmm. recognize it. And I have not. So in my brain, until very recently <laughs> like it has that that is where my brain was but like even so i think that the best way that i've that i've found so far to kind of break it down for people is there's actually another podcast and i, I hate to say like don't listen to mine listen to someone else's but it's probably one of the most famous podcasts that has ever existed called serial and the first season, it's it's the first two seasons I think are on like true crime, but the third season is really eye-opening to a lot of these issues. And it basically the woman who runs it goes and she sits in a courtroom in Cincinnati and for for a year she records every single thing that happens and she tracks the progress of the people who come through. So she sits there and she listens to the cases and she interviews the judges and she does all of that and like Throughout the course of it, like, you see how broken our justice system is and how much power tripping is encouraged. Like, yeah, maybe these people got into it for a good reason, and there are probably people who are still in it for a good reason. But when the system is formatted in such a way that people who take advantage of the system are only held accountable by their friends Uh then there's not any accountability there because people want to be nice to their friends that and uh go ahead no i I was just gonna say or they're they're worried about like who if they're not friends with you who you might be friends with that's the only other thing that i was gonna say because that also happens a lot um, um, I'm not sure if you saw the live video that me and Chandelier did. I didn't, and I, like, I know that you've mentioned it a couple of times. I'm going to, like, intentionally go out of my way to look it up when we're finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, one important viewpoint, and I can only speak on, like, obviously what I heard from her, is Chandelier's father, Chandelier is black, uh, is a black drag queen, as well as I am, but her father is a black cop. Well, is a cop who's black. But, you know, um, and so she got to talk, she asked him a couple of questions about, like, how things work. And one of the things that goes on is, one of the big issues with the institution is, it's sad, but it's not as easy as a lot of people think where it comes to the whole, where, mind you, the, when it came to George Floyd, this is not, what I'm about to say does not fall into place with them not actually at least going, hey, dude, get off his neck. Like, this is not, they, they are a whole other story. Those men are another story. Yeah, that's why other officers com- have been charged as accessories, because they mm-hmm. intent, like, they actively prevented other people from helping. Um, exactly. 
while other good cops, who a lot of people say do nothing, the system is set up to where there is almost no good outcome from reporting a bad cop when you're a good cop. Because mm-hmm. you're pretty much, it was like um, the way Shirley's father said, it was a lot of, in a lot of precincts, it was kind of like a thing where they would hire you or let you on based on, hey man, da da da, we look out for our own. Are you going to play ball or are you not? So they automatically screen people to say, are you going to stand beside person? So even if you were a good cop who wants to do good in your community, you kind of had to pick and choose what good you can do without it destroying your livelihood. Because some of these guys, is how they, they, they train for this. Some of them, their families have done this for generations. And they know that if they turn on a bad cop, you also don't know which cops are aligned with them or how high up it goes. So that can automatically turn on you. They can set you up. So your family's at risk now. Now you can't even call the cops. It used to be one. And so you're blacklisted from the cops. You're black, blacklisted from criminals who are like, oh, shit, that guy used to be a cop. And it can destroy your whole life. Like, so reporting bad cops, if you don't know who all the players are, could destroy your life, which is why I have personally been saying it a lot where I'm like, we need to broaden our horizon. I think the government kind of uses cops as a scapegoat because um, they're the enforcers. But there's always a brain above that. There, I was like, the issue is not just that cops kill black men. The issue is that cops can kill black men and not be arrested. Not yeah. just be found guilty, but not be arrested. Yeah, um, they, they, can, they can murder people and not face any consequences for it. Like, it'll and be that goes, Exactly. And that goes above the chief of police. That goes to the court. That mm-hmm. goes to the prosecutors. That's the whole, the whole justice system needs a magnifying glass of how they've been allowed to do this for so long. And I think the issue is how many people have been grandfathered into this. Like the, when they, like when they, like some people try to act, some people are, are shocked, not act, some people are shocked by how many KKK members are in the police force. But if you think about it, their fathers were, their great, great, great grandfathers were in the police force. So if they've all had this like easy track into being there, they're integrated. And these racist cops and these bad cops are going to make sure there are other bad cops around so they can get away with it. But the justice system knows these cops exist, but they're not going to push it to weed them out. Yeah. Because they're using the little bit of crime they stop or any crime they stop to justify what they do on the sidelines, which is a big issue. And I think one of the worst things about social media, how is it, how it tears people apart, has become a good thing about social media where you can have a video of a woman saying something racist to a black family and within hours, her face is posted everywhere. People can go, she works here. She lives here. So it's not that it's not that cops haven't been doing it forever, because they have. It's now they're being ripped apart, and their old tricks don't necessarily work like they used to, especially with protests. Um, the number of videos coming out about um, white supremacist groups or even cops um, having people undercover to come in and sabotage protests. 
of the guy with the pink gas mask and the umbrella who was breaking windows during a peaceful protest and then try to slip away. A lot of people are burning stuff, setting stuff on fire and slipping away. Mm-hmm. Um, even when the Freddie Gray um, riot, they finally were able to pinpoint that it was this random like white dude who actually started to um, fire at the auto zone where mm-hmm. everyone has this narrative that these angry mob of black people just got mad and started burning stuff. And that's not how it started. Um, once the- you can, any group, Go ahead. So, Freddie Gray, um, that was when the Baltimore riots happened a couple years yeah. ago. And yeah. another thing that I also just want to note, there was an article that actually came out, I want to say, two years later in 2017, that over the course of a DOJ investigation, they discovered that the Baltimore Police Department had a kind of like drug ring thing going on where cops would come in and they would... Um, confiscate drugs from people, arrest them, and then sell them back to people who were their, like, quote-unquote informants and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that is just the, like, I don't even know where to go with that. The, just, <laughs> like, the, just, the system is severely flawed. Um, mm-hmm. My cousin was killed by a drug dealer and mind you, my cousin didn't do drugs or anything like that. It was a whole unfortunate situation um, that someone else put him into. And we could not get justice for him. And it took us a long time to figure out the reason why this guy had apparently had a lot of bodies. Had a, like, a kind of a high body count. And it was a known high body count. And it was because he was kind of an informant for the cops. That he was allowed to pretty much get away literally with murder until he accidentally, I think, shot a undercover cop. And that's when they finally put a stop to it. But I was like, how many people were going to have to die for this man to kind of get away with murder, literally? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I was saying that last time with Ian, that, like, the going back to your point of, like, how social media is just really, like, yeah, there are a lot of toxic things that go along with social media, but also the fact that everyone has a camera on them now, and, like, everyone mm-hmm. can record this stuff. Do you, like, mm-hmm. the amount of stuff, like, people know... So, this is kind of an aside, but when I got my first job, I was working at a fast food restaurant, and one of the very first things that they tell you is, like, when someone complains, there's ten other people who didn't complain. When someone compliments you, there's 10 other people who didn't compliment you. Like, you need to keep that in mind. So you you hear the complaint, you apply it to moving forward. So when you see these videos, there's thousands of other people who similar things have happened to them, and it just hasn't been caught. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... Um, <laughs> like Ahmaud Aubrey, if there was no video... Yeah. There probably nothing would have probably happened. Mm-hmm. Um, George Floyd, if there was no riot, nothing probably would have happened. Yeah, because he was. That's what a lot of people keep trying to go. Like, well, he was arrested. I was like, afterwards, um, I find it. I find it ridiculous that the policemen who watched George Floyd get killed had the same punishment as Colin Kaepernick for kneeling against police brutality. Literally, they had the same punishment. They lost their jobs. I was like, how is that fair at all? A, how's it fair that Colin Kaepernick got fired for it? And B, how's it fair that he has the same punishment as murderers? 
Yeah, and it took a national uprising, basically, to get any charges filed for any of them. Mm-hmm. And now there is also the side conversation, not side conversation, it's becoming a louder, louder conversation. Um, I know they just had a um, Black Trans Lives Matter um, march in, I think, Baltimore today. But the big thing that's going on with the community is people actually screaming out. And I don't know whether it's because it's June that it helped spark it, too. Um, I definitely know that video of that poor, uh, oh, my God, that poor girl who was um, trans woman who was attacked by a group of almost 30 people. I did being, see that, where she by, ran by, into it, the store and ran behind the counter. Yes, it's mostly black men, um, which a lot of people have been using this convoluted argument that blacks don't care when blacks kill blacks. Um, stop, um, stop, I, since, I was a, since I can remember, I have remembered people um, in our community screaming, like, we need to stop black-on-black crime. That has always been a fight with us. Mm-hmm. We have always, as a community, been against black-on-black crime. Um, unfortunately, a lot of it is, Dale Hughley said once, he was like, in predominantly black neighborhoods, blacks are going to kill blacks. Predominantly white neighborhoods, whites are going to kill whites. Mexicans are going to kill Mexicans. Um, it, like, you know, like, like um, I didn't have to say Mexicans, but Hispanics are going to kill um, he's like, when you're around, so he's like, it's not about race all the time. Sometimes it's just about who's your proximity. Um, so, but a lot of people have been using different little things like, well, blacks kill blacks too, to kind of slide away from why the George Floyd, why yeah, all these stories are so black big. Black people don't kill black people because they're black. That's the, like, that's that, not... That, that's the difference. <laughs> and also, police are held to a higher standard. Are they human beings prone to accidents? Absolutely. There's a big difference between a policeman has a really difficult arrest, and he slams the guy against the wall, the guy hits his head a little too hard, and ends up dying from concussion. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference between putting doing a procedure of putting your knees full force, because like, they even made a point of saying he didn't even have one of his legs off the ground. There was a full weight on this man's neck, and his nose was already broken, so he couldn't even breathe into his nose. So um, there was so there's a big difference. Um, the best way I was able to put it in the live video was, I was like, the difference between black-on-black crime and police-on-black crime is if you're a parent and you send your kid to school and they get in a fight with another student, you're going to be upset, but you're not going to be as upset as if you find out that a teacher beat up your kid at school. Because you know if a student fights your kid, they're going to get expelled, they're going to get detention, they're going to get punished somehow because there are enforcers at the school to handle the situation. Mm-hmm. When the teacher, not when a teacher attacks your kid, and not only does the teacher attack your kid, but the school system backs up the teacher, what do you do? Like, how do you, ha- it's like, where do you go? Because yeah. usually if the kid's being bullied, you go to the teacher. Mm-hmm. But if the teacher's the bully, then where do you, if the school system's the bully, you have nowhere to be safe. You have nowhere to go. And that's just one way I like to put it for any, like, people who happen to be white or don't necessarily understand how it works. Because 
there is a big difference. I'm not blind to the fact that why would you understand how it makes us feel or how it breaks down to us when you've never had to live it? It's like, I can't get mad at you for not learning something that you never have to apply. Um, If you ask me how people had to live in a random village in Europe, I would go, I have no fucking clue. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's not because it's not because I'm stupid or I hate that village. Alvin, I just how don't do they live know. in the Ukraine? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could not even remotely start to explain how they live in Ukraine. And it's nothing against <laughs> Ukrainian people. But if you told me that there are like military squads going around shooting children in Ukraine, I would feel outraged for yeah. them. And that's all, and that's kind of what we want. We just want people to know that it's happening. Now, if they're doing it, and I go, "Well, the children really shouldn't be outside if they say they're," then that's on me. Once I've been given the information and I choose to try to find the opposition for it, there's a difference between playing devil's advocate to get a good back and forth going, mm-hmm. and there's a difference between you're just being a troll and an asshole. And a lot of people who think that they're being so smart by playing devil's advocate on this situation are kind of just being assholes. <laughs> First and foremost, no black people want riots. We don't yeah. want to do any of this shit. We don't want the looting. Mm-hmm. We don't, um, which is done by people who are opportunists, which in any race, in any form, you're going to find opportunities. You're going to find people who are going to make the best out of a terrible situation. Jake Paul and, is a perfect example of an opportunist. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> who was recently charged uh, for being, for trespassing and unlawful something, Mabobbers. I don't remember what the charges are off the top of my head, but that is a perfect example. <laughs> exactly. You're going to have opportunists no matter where you look, and you can't allow when these are thrown in your face to go, oh, wow, see, that's bad. I don't like that. And yeah. since the protests are causing that, I don't like the protests. You can't do that. You have to use common sense. You have to use context. Uh, you have to be able to think of the root solution. You can't think of, um, it's kind of like a sickness. You can, if you have a flu, me just giving you something to stop you from sneezing does not get rid of the flu. Mm-hmm. Getting rid of the riots does not stop the race. Stopping the riots will not stop the racism. Stopping the protests will not stop the racism. You're trying to stop the symptom, but you're ignoring because you know there's going to be a huge fight to stop the actual sickness. Mm-hmm. And one big thing that is trying to be pushed, especially in the black community, is the fact that not all lives matter, but <laughs> all lives do matter. But, um, all black lives matter because when it comes to the black community, the gay and trans black community have never been true. We are not treated right by the white community. We're not treated right by the gay community and we're not treated right by the black community. Um, being black and gay, I'm not, it, I can only speak as a black gay man. I have experienced a lot of the racism I've experienced, um, as of late in my life has been from the gay community, especially the white gay community. Um, or even on like something as simple as like a hookup app. I've had I had a guy once just call me a nigger and then start sending pictures of monkeys and saying it was my family. Oh my god. And this is from a gay man who wasn't even from this actually wasn't even from this country. He was on the thing um app called Scruff where you can talk to people from all the world. 
And then I've had it to where I'll hit up a guy and go like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, fuck off, nigger. And then like, that's his response. And those are guys who live in Maryland. And these are people who are part of a group of oppressed people because gays are not treated right by society. Mm-hmm. But they still, they, they're a little bit of, they do still have a privilege that they feel bold to cling to. Because it's like using the shield of I am gay and therefore oppressed to then use exactly, that to oppress Exactly. Exactly. Um, I've seen women do it. I've seen a, a white, lot of groups do it. When you are a white dude, when you are a white woman, when you are <laughs> when you are of a a certain group that is of privilege, unfortunately, you do still have privilege. Well, fortunately for you, but Less fortunate for those it, who do not have it. And most people would think their mindset would be, especially in the black community, you think their mindset would be, well, I know how it feels to be treated like shit. So I wouldn't treat others like shit. But a lot of them, their mindset aren't based off how they were treated. Their mindset is based on how well the people who treated them terribly live. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are mistaking Black Lives Matter and a lot of civil rights movement, they think we're fighting for the privilege. We're not fighting to be privileged. We're fighting to be equal. And I do think a lot of people do misconstrue those two. A lot of people want to fight to be treated the same way that white people are treated in America, which I don't think is fair. I think if you commit, like, um, let's say Brock Turner, I don't think that a black man should be allowed to rape a girl behind, like, a dumpster and be allowed to get off because of his because he's on the swim team. I don't think a black man should be allowed to get away with that. Ahead of him. Yeah, Brock Turner is a fucking exactly. So, so I think we should fight for equality, which means Brock Turner should have gone to jail, and if a black man did it, he should go to jail if he did the crime. Yeah, that's equality. I don't want to have the cream of the crop. I just want to be treated like everyone else be treated. I want to know that if I commit the same crime that you commit as a white woman, we both would get the same sentence yeah that's equality it's not fighting for better treatment it's fighting for equal treatment which sometimes is shitty but that's <laughs> that's I mean, how hey, it works I mean, out i i think that a lot of the pushback from from privileged white folk is likely due to the fact that they don't want they don't want it to be equal they want to keep their pedestal so that they like like brock turner brock turner clearly would not want to be treated just like a black man because he would have gone to prison probably for, I would imagine life (laughs) like with with how many, with how much witness testimony there was. And, and, Uh and like just, he might've not even lived through that night, honestly, if he had been a black man. As the same as rich people, because like rich black people can get with a lot more than poor black people can. Uh Um, because money will always kind of talk, but we've seen it happen often in the news. We've seen it happen often where, where, and I feel bad sometimes the black community, I will not try to say I'm better than anybody. Sometimes you'll see a rich black guy who acts a certain way or lives a certain way, and when he finally, certain crimes catch up with him, we kind of watch like, mm-hmm. Now you know how the rest of us feel, which is not a good thing to feel good about that. You should never feel good about it. But we're human. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like it's like sometimes you watch shit happen where you're like, mm, hmm, finally, yeah. asshole. Um, <laughs> I mean, and it's it's kind of like where I felt with um as far as being gay, where that one asshole like Milo Yapolnopolis, whatever his last name is, um, when the Republicans were all on his side, all on his side, all on his side, because he said horrible, offensive things that hurt the gay community so bad, and his ongoing excuse was, I am gay too, so I can say these horrible things. And the Republicans used him as their token gay because he was such an awful human being, but they're like, see, uh-huh, he agrees with us, you dirty gays. Yeah, you're and then he came, the name. Right? Yes, and yeah. then he came out and kind of justified pedophilia, and they're like, oh, oh Let's shit. distance ourselves now, we don't agree with that yeah, anymore, yeah. So when he was no longer allowed to even attend to their, like, I was like, oh, yeah. I, like, that felt good to be like, hmm, now you're just another fag with the rest of us. Now you know how the rest of us feel. I've always felt that way about Caitlyn Jenner, where she got, like, a certain special treatment in the media where I kind of said from the get-go, it was looked down upon, but I said from the get-go, I was like, she's still a fucking Kardashian. She's still a Jenner. I was like, she mm-hmm. still is not going to be down to earth. Just because she's trans does not make her a better person. Yeah, and her belief, uh, uh, her belief in everything that came out later showed very plainly. I was like, she is out. I was like, she's not one. Uh, she's one of us, but she's not one of us. Yeah. She, she's never going to see it from your side. She's not going to give a shit about what, because she knows she's not going to put in the same situation as us. Yeah. So you can't automatically give somebody sainthood. Um, one question that was asked of me before was, do the, does the black community need another like strong leader to stand up on the front lines to be that token? And I think in this society, so especially with social media and how quickly somebody can be torn to pieces, I don't think it's a good idea to have a person as a speaker for the whole black community because yeah. all they need is enough ammunition to, t- to, to attack their character and it destroys the entire movement. We need to be a collective. Well, even um, though, like, you see people trying to destroy Martin Luther King Jr.'s character by alleging that he had an affair with a white woman, which, mm-hmm. I, as far as I can tell, there has not been any proof that that happened. That was a... <laughs> thing that was imagined in the movie. <laughs> but even with MLK, um, a lot of people want to try to use him as an example for us to stop rioting and stop being angry. Mm-hmm. But the, is- the issue with their logic is they want to do this by editing the narrative. In their narrative, Martin Luther King made a beautiful speech was shot, and then all of a sudden, the blacks were equal. No. Oh, no. There were riots after he was killed. Like, we, like, we were about to, like, the black people were about to, like, burn this country to the ground. We're willing yeah. to burn this country to the ground. That's what brought it about. Yeah, and the there were outrage. six days of rioting before mm-hmm. they even passed the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, like, so a lot of people tried to just, oh, the peaceful protest. I was like, we tried. We tried. Y'all, I've seen more people upset about kneeling during a song. Forgive me if anyone's super, super patriotic. Um, but 
we got more shit about kneeling during a song that apparently had to edit out the racist parts of it to be, <laughs> but we had more shit about kneeling towards the song than George Floyd got for being killed, than Trayvon Martin got, than um, Ahmaud Aubrey, than Brianna Taylor, uh, Tanner, than, um, I do not know the name of the young um, trans woman who was just attacked, um, the name of any of the young trans women who were just, especially black trans women who were just killed. Yeah. Killed all throughout the city, all throughout the country. Just killed. And, people were more upset because during that period of the song, it ruined their whole day. It ruined their whole lives. Okay, it's not even during the whole football game. It doesn't ruin the football game. Can you imagine having so much privilege in your life that, like, one tiny thing of someone kneeling during a song on an entertainment show that you are watching ruins your whole week? Can you imagine having... Uh, thank you. And the sheer, just, the sheer blindness of people's, like, accusations, shared blindness of people's statements, um, how all these pseudo-overly patriotic people talk about how disrespect to the flag, even though technically you're not allowed to use the American flag like in clothing and stuff like that. You're not supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. um, American flag and how? And I love how many veterans I know who literally point-blank will say um I don't know why people keep speaking for soldiers and veterans um, when we literally went to war so that people could protest. We went to war so that people could say what they want to say. And it's always people who have never even once been in the military speaking for the military. On top of that, the kneeling itself was supposed to be in honor of of those who have exactly. passed. Like, and that is a exactly. military thing. Exactly. Because um, at first, Kaepernick used to sit on the bench and a ex-military who was in the military told him it's more respectful to kneel for his fallen brother. Mm -hmm. And that's when he starts to kneel. So, a white man who's an ex-military told him to kneel and yet yeah. they're always it's always this whole thing where if you if you don't do this um, then you hate then you're anti-America and then we have the people who tell us to go back to Africa. I've said this often, I will say this again, the black American is a very special race because we were literally created in this country. We were created in this country. We were a combination of slaves from all over Africa brought here, purposely mixed up so that we couldn't communicate and rebel. And then they like bred the biggest and the strongest of the biggest and the strongest together to make great slaves and we become mixed with Native American obviously a lot of slave owners mixed in and we had to educate ourselves in a language we did not know we had to educate ourselves um, we were kind of forced religion I'm not going to get into a religion conversation in the black community that's kind of like a big thing where like we were kind of forced Christianity and like a lot of blacks believe Christianity as their basis for everything mm -hmm. but we kind of we literally went from being in chains to being the president. That's mm -hmm. why a lot of the old, I said it before, the old tricks that the cops and the justice do, their old tricks don't work on us anymore. Because originally, we literally had no voice. And then we got a voice, but we didn't know how to speak. And then once we learned we could speak, we were like, I don't want to be treated like this. 
now we know how to yell. We know what we deserve. We know how powerful we can be. And we're not willing to be given the same treatment as people who did not even know they could talk. Yeah. Black so it's not tooth and nail every step of the way. Tooth and nail. Yeah. Tooth and nail. Um, we have, we've impacted the world so far. Our hip, the hip hop culture in the, the black American hip hop culture has affected the entire fucking world. Like, that's just the hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. So much of our culture has, it's, that it impacted the world and when we we either we don't get credit for it or we get shadow for it and we're like no we're not going to accept this we're not going to accept bullshit you can't keep saying this bullshit um it's it, yeah I, I completely I'm with you <laughs> I'm like I'm, I'm tell me <laughs> And it's not just the ones who lived in the ghetto. It's not just the ones who had to struggle their whole lives. It's every black, no matter what part of life you came from, for the most part, at some point, your race will come into play. Mm -hmm. In the drag community, my race has come into play. In the gay community, my race comes into play. Um, And and it's like a lot of times in the black community, my race comes into play. Um, a lot of people, like, it's like you have to fight for your blackness, but you also get kind of, like, feel like shit when you show too much of your blackness, and it's, it's not fair. Uh, um, I remember being a kid, and you would be, like, in class, and you do, like, the family trees and all that shit, and people would be like, well, I came from this village in Germany, and my family came from this, and with some black families, we're like, um... I can root my family back to like somewhere in North Carolina, but we, but you know, but it's like some of us can only root ourselves back to when their part of their family was freed. Um, my mother's maiden name is Happer because the whichever well, her ancestors got released from slavery, he kind of like contorted his master's last name because he didn't want to take his master's last name, uh, which a lot of slaves did take. Which is, um, but it's one of those things where we can't even use we've kind of even had our history taken away from us. So yes, we are willing to die for our future because we don't. Our past is not what we want to live in. Yeah. A lot of people can look back at their past and and know they come from royalty, know they come from this. We can't even really do that that much. It's so hard for us to be able to track down where we even came from in Africa, or before and before that. I mean, we could. See, I wanna I wanna keep talking about this for like I know, ever. but this is like <laughs> <laughs> I only like I'm trying to keep it down to about an hour for each podcast and we're already at a little over that. So I think <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> but I mean where let the people know where they can find you. Where do you want people to follow you? Instagram? Um I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, um I'm seldomly on Twitter. I'm usually on Facebook. Um What's your, and what's you your can handle? look. So you can look for all, all three. It's Onyx D Pearl. Um, I believe on Instagram it's Onyx D Pearl three twenty. Um, Twitter Onyx D Pearl. I mean, sorry, Facebook Onyx D Pearl. Twitter should be Onyx D Pearl or Onyx D Pearl three twenty. It should be one of those two. Um, I'm usually on Facebook. I am really easy to talk to. So if once shows start back up when things open up 
I'm also one of those people where I love to have conversations um, where I don't always have to agree 100% with the other person's saying, but I love to have actual conversations, not arguments. I will, so I will point it, out you are very easy to talk to, and I and I will also even back up the you love to have conversations because you know people who I have no idea how you know them, but I know them, and there's, like, no association. <laughs> I'm like, how did that, how are you linked to this person? Okay. <laughs> but, yes, you, you know a lot of people. <laughs> and honestly, if you reach out to, like, me, I'm more than happy to have any kind of conversation. Like, my world has always been built off of knowing so many different people. Which is the only way to survive. If everyone was exactly like me, I would hate the world. I would be so irritated if every single person was just like me. If we were all exactly like (laughs) the world would be so boring. Oh my god. I mean, we also probably have fewer riots and stuff, but like, you know, it'd be really boring. (laughs) Knowing my personality, we'd probably have more, because I could be pretty (laughs) stubborn. So, if 10 of me thought they were in the right, then we would just have in arguments going back and forth. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yes, go ahead and follow Onyx De Pearl on Instagram at Onyx De Pearl 320 or Facebook at Onyx De Pearl. Um, and I-, I would really love to have you back on again, too, especially to discover, discover, discuss like, uh, like history and stuff like that. Cause it sounds like that's a subject that you are kind of interested in. Am I wrong? I do love the history of a lot. Like, I do love what, I love knowing how things came to be and, like, kind of, like, how the clock works. I, I like yeah. to look into it. Well, good. And be inspired by the past. Yeah. All right. Well, um, hopefully we can have Alvin on again and, and have that discussion as well. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so tune in every Wednesday. This has been Hello, Fellow Humans. Um, go ahead and follow Onyx on all of the social media platforms, and we will see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.